passage of demoniac delivered. And that comes from Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 5. And I'm sure this story is very familiar to many of you. As this is the story of Jesus healing a man that was possessed by demons. George Barna did a survey in April of 2020 and found out this. 51% of Americans believe in God. That is down 73% from 1991. But get this. He found out 56% of Americans believe in Satan. So from his survey, he discovered that more Americans believe in Satan than believe in God. And you wonder why our nation is divided. You wonder why families are being torn apart. Because if you believe in Satan more than you believe in God, you already have a problem that you can't fix. He also did a survey in 2017 that revealed this. Among evangelical Christians, which make up 6% of the adults in the United States, 100% believe in God as described in the Bible, and 98% believe Satan was real. Among non-evangelical born-again Christians, which make up 23% of adults in the United States, 89% had a biblical view of God, only 35% believe Satan was real, and not just a symbol of evil. And then there's a new category of Christians known as notional Christians. Those who say they believe in God, but they have not made a commitment to Christ and think they are okay with God. That is 42% of the adults who live in the United States. 57% of those believe in the God of the Bible, and only 14% believe Satan is real. A majority of Christians surveyed believe in God and angels, but not Satan and demons. And they see the stories of demons in the Bible as a, as a physical issue or a psychological issue and believe Satan is just a symbol of evil. And part of the issue is people would rather think that God exists and angels exist rather than Satan and demons exist. Because if only God existed... And Satan and demons did not exist, and sin, which is rebellion against God, would not exist, as Satan introduced sin into the world. There would have been no need for Jesus to go to the cross, and spiritual warfare would not exist. I'm here to tell you this morning, God and angels do exist, and Satan and demons are real. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, in order for there to be spiritual warfare, in order for there to be a struggle between good and evil, God and angels and Satan and his demons must all exist. I think another issue in our culture when it comes to, to demons and Satan is we're not as familiar with the demonic as people were in Jesus' day or as people are in other cultures. However, Satan is still alive and working in America today as he is deceptively turning people away from God, as he is blinding people to the truth of God, and as he is distorting the word of God and tempting people to do evil. And even though we don't see or recognize demon possession in our culture, 
Missionaries in other countries where divination and witchcraft are practiced will tell you that demon possession is still alive and well today. There's a book called And the Word Came with Power, and if you haven't read that book, I would encourage you to do it. I've read it a couple of times, but this is a great book, and it's a great example of what God can do to an individual who surrenders their life to Him. It gives a 20-year story of a woman named Joanne Shetler who gave herself to go and live among the Banglao people in the Philippines. And this book tells of her adventures and tells of her journey from the learning of the culture and the language through the trials and hardships she faced of dealing with a culture that yielded to evil spirits and the completion of God's plan for these Banglao people. And she prayed for years for God to show himself stronger than the spirits. And finally he did as two women in the village who were powerful spirit mediums. They chose to worship God and deny Satan. And when these spiritists chose to worship God and deny Satan, the demons became mad. The spirits became angry. The village was in an uproar and terrified because in the past those who quit serving spirits paid for it with their lives. The Banglao people knew the spirits had power, but what about God? But what they came to discover is that God is much more powerful than the spirits. And because of the witness of Joanne Shetler and because of the witness of these two powerful spiritists who gave their life to Christ, the Banglao people were transformed by the power of God's Word. There's another great book called The Insanity of God by Nip Ripkin, and he's actually from Kentucky. And he and his family went to Somalia for relief work. And darkness was all around them. And his book is how difficult it was for them to maintain hope in a culture that was full of darkness. And let me remind you, if you don't believe Satan is real and demons real, I encourage you to talk to some of these missionaries who have experienced it firsthand. But let me also say is that only believer, non-believers can be possessed by demons. Demon possession cannot happen in a true follower of Christ. Because as a follower of Christ, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of God is, the Spirit of Satan cannot be. 1 John 5, 18 and 19 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. God's word makes it clear that demonic spirits are powerful. And everyone who does not belong to the kingdom of God is in rebellion against God, belongs to the kingdom of Satan. However, demons have no hope of ever possessing someone possessed by a much greater spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. You see, Satan can't take control of a life that's, that's in the hands of God. Now, does that mean that Satan can't attack believers? Absolutely not. Satan can attack us all he wants. All you have to do is look at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted by Satan. And if Satan can tempt Jesus, don't think that Satan can't tempt you as well. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that we are to be sober and be vigilant as our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a man known as the demoniac. We're going to see the power that Jesus has over demons. We're going to see how he delivered this demoniac from the powers of darkness and radically changed this man's life. And we're going to see how this man responds to his life change because of the power of Jesus that he experienced. And as we go through this passage this morning, I want you to think about the power of Jesus. And I want you to think about how the power of Jesus has changed your life. And I want you to think about how you should respond to the transformation that Jesus brought into your life. I want you to recall from last week after a day of teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and told them to go to the other side of the lake or the the sea. And as they were going to the other side, they encountered this raging storm. And Jesus calmed the storm. And then the disciples arrived at the other side. And this morning we are going to see why Jesus wanted to go to the other side. Why he wanted to go to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Why did he want to go to the region known as the Decapolis or the the geographical term for ten cities east of Jordan where Gentiles live. And I think there's a map I have that we can see where Jesus was going from the lake from one side of the lake to the other. Jesus was on the western side of the lake. He was going to that area called the Decapolis, or probably, they think, more the place called Gergesa. That's where Jesus was intending to go, and that's why he invited the disciples to get in the boat and to go to the other side, because he knew there was a man that he needed to meet who was in need, and Jesus was going to meet this man's need. And I want you to keep in mind a few things about this passage as we read it. This is the only extended conversation in Scripture that Jesus has with demons. This is only one of two miracles in Scripture that had destructive results. And this is the only miracle where Jesus commanded the recipient to go and tell about what he had done for him. So let's read Mark 5, 1 through 20 and explore these points more. So they came to the other side of the sea to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he had often had been bound with shackles and chains, but snapped off his chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and always night and day he was crying out among the tombs in the mountains, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. He cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. Now a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, Send us to the pigs so we may enter them. He gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what happened. They came to Jesus, saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man. 
and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him, meaning Jesus, to leave the area. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him, but he would not let him. Instead, he told him, Go back home to your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. First thing I want to share this morning from this passage is we see that Jesus has the power to dominate demons. Jesus has the power to dominate demons. As soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat, he was met by a man who was possessed by demons. And remember, Jesus had just calmed a violent storm on the sea. And now he meets a man who has a violent storm raging within him. And this is one of the most sorrowful stories of human suffering, of human distress, of human misery in all of Scripture. This man is defiled as he has an unclean spirit living within him. This man is defiled as Satan has a grip on his life. This man seems more descriptive of a ferocious animal than a human being. He's a terror to himself and to others. And even though he is alive, he is living in the land of the dead. And he may be alive on the outside, but he is dead on the inside. This man was depraved. He was wailing among the tombs. He was cutting himself with stones. Nothing could subdue him. Nothing could tame him. Not shackles, not chains, not irons. This demoniac possessed supernatural strength. This man is helpless. This man is hopeless. This man is hurting. And Jesus is his only solution. This man is also desperate. He's naked. He's running around like a wild animal day and night, cutting himself and screaming in pain. And we don't know if the demons caused this man to cut himself or if he did it to himself to try to find relief from the demons. And we don't know if his screams were a cry for help if the demons compelled him to scream. But what we do know is this. This was a desperate man in a desperate situation and he needed help. And he knew that Jesus was the only one that could help him. And I want to share with you this morning is Jesus is the only one who can help us. You see, before we came to Jesus, each one of us, we were physically alive, but we were spiritually dead. Before we came to Jesus, we may have been living on the outside, but we were dead on the inside, just like this demoniac. And there are people all around us who are physically alive, but spiritually dead. There are people all around us who are helpless and hopeless and hurting and they're defiled and depraved because they do not have Christ. And because of their depraved condition, they are desperate. They're desperate because Satan has a grip on their life and they're bound by the chains of sin and they're crying out for help. They're searching for value. They're searching for significance. They're searching for meaning. And they are in spiritual bondage. And they are looking for answers to their hopelessness in all the wrong places. They might be looking to pills. They might be, be looking to programs. They might be looking to people like psychiatrists and psychologists. But the problem with man's efforts to cure the problem of humanity is that man's efforts only treat the symptom and not the cause of hopelessness, which is the sinfulness of man. 
the only cure, the only hope for the condition of sin, the only one who can break the chains of sin is Jesus Christ himself. There is no other solution for our sin problem. And by having this encounter with this demoniac, Jesus shows us that no one is beyond God's reach. Jesus shows us that no one is beyond the grace of God. If anyone was beyond the grace of God, if anyone was beyond God's reach, it would have been this demoniac. And I am sure there were many in that community where this man lived. They had given up on this man. They thought this man was beyond help. And I want to challenge you this morning to never think that someone does not deserve the forgiveness of God. May we never think that someone is not worthy of the love of God. May we never give up on someone who needs God. Everyone in this community had given up on this man except Jesus Christ. And may you never think that you are beyond the grace of God. May you never think that you are too far gone for God to love you and forgive you. There's a bumper sticker out there that said, Heaven doesn't want me and hell's afraid I will take over. And you may know some people like that. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Because God does want you. God desires no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, to give your life to Him by accepting what Jesus did for you on the cross. And by the way, Satan is not afraid of you either. You know who Satan is afraid of? He's afraid of Jesus. But he's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of you unless you have Jesus within you. Because here's the deal. We cannot overcome Satan on our own. It is only through the power of Jesus and Jesus living within us that we can overcome Satan. Scripture says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, meaning greater is Jesus than Satan. Jesus wins all the time. But if you don't have Jesus, I'm here to tell you this morning, Satan can overpower you. Satan can destroy you. Satan can take over your life unless you give your power to him, to the one who controls Satan and can take care of him for you. The apostle Paul, who was Saul, and he persecuted Christians and put them in, in prison. And as we know the story on the road to Damascus, he became, after his life was changed by Christ, he became the greatest missionary and one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. He made this statement in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, This saying is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. Paul said, I really messed up. Paul saying, no one like me deserves the grace of of God he's saying if no one deserves the grace of God it's me I don't deserve God to love me I don't deserve God to show his love to me and give me forgiveness for what I've done Paul said I am the worst of sinners but you know what God did he changed Paul's life 
He turned his life around because Paul gave his life to Christ. And Jesus forgave him and the Holy Spirit indwelt Paul. And Paul lived in the power of the Holy Spirit instead of the power of Satan. And look at the difference that Paul made because of what he did. But I want you to think about something. Neither you nor I deserve the love and the forgiveness of God. Neither you nor I deserve deserve the love and forgiveness of God. But it's because of God's amazing grace and His great mercy that He loves us and forgives us. It's all because of Jesus that God extends His love and His mercy and forgiveness to us. And I've heard people say, I'm not worthy of the love of God. You don't know the kind of life I've lived. I've really messed up. There's no way God can love me because of what I have done. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that couldn't be further from the truth. If God can forgive the Apostle Paul, he will forgive you and he will forgive me because we can't out the grace of God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God extends his gift of salvation to you. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him there's no stipulation on that whoever there's no condition on that whoever that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and look at what this man does as soon as he sees Jesus exit the boat he runs to this man and he kneels before Jesus now what if a demon possessed man came running and screaming at you What would you do? You know, this actually happened to us on our high school trip to Philadelphia in 2012. We were working with an African-American church planter in Philadelphia, and we had an incredible experience. But this pastor decided to take us to the fourth most dangerous intersection in the United States. Drug dealers, prostitutes, you name it, it was happening at this intersection. And he took us to pass out lunches and gospel tracts. And before we got there, he said this. He said, police don't even want to come down here. And I'm thinking, oh my. What have I gotten my students into? I'm going to be fired when I get back to Red House. What, what am I doing? What have I gotten into? And as we were approaching the intersection and about to park, we got so excited. We saw two police cars in that intersection. And we were excited. But unfortunately, after one minute, they both took off. They were like, oh my. But as we got out of the van, we could feel the spiritual darkness. It was overwhelming. We could tell that Satan had a grip on that area. And as we were about to leave, the pastor asked us to circle up and pray. As we were circling up to pray, this man was circling us as well. And he was yelling out and screaming out things in the name of Satan. And there was no doubt in this pastor's mind, and he conveyed it to us, that this man was possessed by demons. As one of our students was praying, this man came up to him and punched him in the stomach, physically assaulted one of our students on that street corner. But thankfully, this man was taken care of quickly, and the young man that was praying was fine. 
But that rattled us a little bit. That scared us a little bit. So if we were approached by someone who was demon-possessed, we would probably get a little scared. We would probably run. But not Jesus. He wasn't intimidated by the man in front of him. In fact, his encounter with this, with this demoniac, we see the power that Jesus has to overcome demons. We, in fact, see the demons submit to Jesus. They actually fear Jesus as this demoniac literally fell on his knees and at the feet of Jesus. The word used is the idea of prostrating oneself before a person to whom reverence or worship is due, even kissing the hem of his garment or his feet. Not only do they fear Jesus, they know Jesus. They know who Jesus is. And the demons recognize they are in the presence of God. And when they are confronted with Christ, they are compelled to confess Him as the Son of God. Look what verse 7 says. It says, And He cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with us or with me, Jesus, Son of the God Most High? I beg you before God, don't torment me you know in some sense the demons answer the questions the disciple asked Jesus in Mark 4 41 after Jesus calmed the storms the disciple said who is this man that he even commands the seas and the wind and they obey him but interestingly enough even though the disciples may not clearly understood who Jesus was the demons know exactly who Jesus is and they say that this is the son of the most high God there's a scripture in James 2.19 that says the demons believe and they shudder. The demons believe and they tremble. Why do they shudder? Why do they tremble? Why do they fall at the feet of Jesus? Because they fear the power of God. And as the demons confront Christ, there's a sense of desperation. There's a fear of punishment. And Jesus commanded the demons, as we see in verse 8, he commanded all of them to come out of the man. But they asked Jesus to leave them alone because they know that he has the power to punish them for evil by sending them to hell. In Jude 6, it says, The angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. They knew that Jesus had the power right then to send them to hell forever and then Jesus asked the man his name the man identifies himself as legion for we are many it comes from the Greek word or from the Latin word legio it's a military term and it designated the largest troop unit in the Roman army about 5,600 soldiers so the grip the demons had on the life of this man was like the power and force of 5,600 Roman soldiers. This speaks to the power and the intention of the demons as their desire was to destroy this man's life. And this is Satan's desire for every human who is alive. He wants to destroy our lives. He wants to keep people from coming to Jesus by deceiving them. For believers, he wants to attack us by causing us to doubt God, to attack us by distracting us from what God is called to do, by tempting us to do evil. And so the demons, because they knew the power of God and what Jesus could do to them, he, they begged Jesus not to leave the area. 
And this probably was because the area of Decapolis, it was a very Gentile area. It was very pagan. And it was dominated by evil forces that were hostile to Jesus. The Decapolis was a place of spiritual darkness. And I want you to notice that the demons did not challenge Jesus. They simply plead for mercy from Jesus by begging him to send them into the herd of pigs nearby. And this is a reminder that this event was taking place in a Gentile area as the herding of pigs was forbidden by Jews. So for Jesus, this turns from a spiritual ordeal to a moral ordeal. There are 2,000 pigs in this herd. This represented an enormous livelihood for these pig farmers. And the loss of 2,000 pigs would be an economic catastrophe. But Jesus granted their request. The demons were sent into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff and drowned. You see, the good done to the demoniac resulted in great misfortune for the pigs and the pig herders. With a powerful word, Jesus delivered this man from torment and the destructive behavior that characterized his life. And when I thought about this and what Jesus done for this man and the power that Jesus showed over the demons, I thought of the chorus of that's the power of your name. And it says that's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break and there is healing. And there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. And I think that is so true and I think that's indicative of what happened in the life of this man. It was only through the authoritative word of Jesus that those demons came out of those pig, out of those, out of that man and went into those pigs. Why? Because there is no power like the mighty name of Jesus. With one powerful word, Jesus delivered this man from torment that he had faced all his life. Jesus knew what he did to the pigs would not be, wait for it, kosher. You'll get that in a minute, maybe. It was not popular. It did not sit well because of the loss that was incurred by the pig farmers. But Jesus didn't care. Jesus was willing to have conflict. Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to save one man's soul, to save one man's life. Jesus showed that human beings are of greater value than the pig. Jesus showed that the rescue and restoration of one individual is far and more important than any possession regardless of the cost. Jesus is showing us that we should be willing to do what it takes for people to come to know Christ so they can be delivered from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> you see, compared to the redemption of a human being, the loss we may incur the sacrifice we may have to make to see someone come to Christ is well worth the investment as nothing is more valuable than a life that is delivered from sin and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may have to lose a friendship to bring someone to Jesus. You know what? That friendship was worth it. You may have to lose a reputation for bringing someone to Jesus or popularity. Guess what? Your popularity was worth it. You may lose other things because you have to bring people to Jesus. Guess what? It's worth it. Why? Because their eternal destiny is at stake. 
And what's on this earth does not, com- matter, does not compare to the eternal destiny of a human being who needs Jesus Christ. Second thing I want to point out is Jesus has the power to deliver the destitute. Jesus dominated the demons. Now he has the power to deliver the man who was destitute. The pig herders, what did they do as soon as Jesus removed the demons from the, pig, from the man and put them in the pigs? They went over the cliff and they drowned. And the pig herders ran to the countryside and the town and they reported what happened. They reported that the demons were cast into the pigs and the pigs ran off a cliff and did not survive. Did you notice what they didn't report? They didn't report that this man was no longer possessed by demons that his life had been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And these people gather at the scene and they see something amazing. Remember, the man Jesus delivered was hopeless. He was needy. He lived in isolation. He constantly cut himself and cried out in agony. Now this demoniac is completely different as he was radically changed by Jesus. And the evidence of this changed life was sitting right there before them, right in front of them. This man was no longer out of his mind. He was now in his right mind. This man who was naked was now clothed. He was dressed. The internal change that occurred in this man's life was now externally visible to the others that were there. This is evidence of a true encounter with Jesus is that heart change will lead to life change. Heart change will lead to life change. If you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ and your heart is changed, your life will be changed. And this man who was a raging lunatic is now calm. He's no longer controlled by demons. Satan is no longer his master, but Jesus is. And this man was changed physically. This man was changed spiritually. This man was changed mentally. This man was changed emotionally. Jesus changed everything about this man. Jesus changed this man from the inside out. And I believe this man is a picture of the total change that takes place in the life of anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This man is an incredible picture of salvation and discipleship, a restored individual sitting in the presence of Jesus. This man was an example of the song we sang this morning of a grave being turned into a garden, of Jesus taking the ashes of this man's life and turning them into beauty. And what Jesus did for this man, he does for us. Before we came to Jesus, we were destitute. Before we came to Jesus, we were hopeless. Before we came to Jesus, we were needy. And when Jesus got a hold of our lives and changed us, he changed every part of us. He changed us from the inside out. You see, it does no good to change the outside if the inside is not changed. It's like putting a fresh coat on a building that is falling apart. You see, before the symptoms of sin can be removed, the root cause of sin has to be taken care of. And the root cause of sin is the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Life change can only result from heart change, and only God can change our hearts. 
Ezekiel 36, 26 says, God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When Jesus changes a man's heart, he changes their life. And you would think the reaction of those who witnessed this miracle and were told about and saw the life change that occurred in this man... You would think they would be excited. You would think they'd be ecstatic to see how Jesus had changed this man, but not exactly. Look at the reaction of the locals to what just transpired in verse 17. It says, they began to beg him, meaning Jesus, to leave the region. These inhabitants of this area who just witnessed this great miracle, they're terrified by the power of Jesus to expel demons. And they're angry at Jesus at the loss of 2,000 pigs. This was a huge financial loss for them. And instead of trusting Christ, instead of believing in Christ and worshiping Him, they resent the intrusion of Jesus into their region. And they ask Him to leave. Instead of recognizing the difference Jesus made in this man's life and rejoicing in the man's new condition, they wanted no part of Jesus. They cared more about their possessions. They cared more about their livelihood than the changed life that was before them. They were selfish. They were only looking out for themselves. And they had no desire for Jesus to change their life the way Jesus changed this man's life. And they thought at best it was for Jesus to leave. If you had witnessed what these people had witnessed and seen the demoniac's life drastically change, How could you not help believe in Jesus and believe in the power of Jesus and worship him? But unfortunately, the response to Jesus today is no different. There are many who want no part of Jesus. Jesus tries to enter their life and they ask him to leave and they refuse to put their faith and trust in him. And even when God does show up, Even when God does do a miracle, even when God does reveal himself, they do not welcome him into their lives. And not only is this true for non-believers, but I also think that this can be true for believers as we sometimes respond the same way as these pig herders did. We grumble, we complain, we focus on what is wrong instead of what is right. And like these pig herders, when this becomes our focus, when we become selfish, when we focus on what is wrong instead of right, we restrict God's presence, we limit God's power, and we miss out on his blessings. By asking Jesus to leave the area, these pig herders missed out on the blessings of God. They missed out on their lives being changed the same way that this demoniac's life was changed. And we say we welcome God's presence. But do we really desire God's presence to permeate every area of our lives? Maybe we're afraid if we let go. Maybe we're afraid of what God can do. Maybe we're afraid if we let go that things will not look the same, that we will not be what we think they should be. Maybe we think if we allow God into our lives, it will interfere with our plans and what we want to do and how we want to live. 
And you know what? That's true, but that's for the best. For God to change you. God never makes a mistake when he changes someone. He always changes someone for the better, not the worse. And you can never do for yourself what Jesus can do for you. This demoniac could not have changed himself. This demoniac could not have been calmed down or been clothed. The only way his life changed was through the power of Jesus. The only way your life is going to change and my life is going to change is through the power of Jesus Christ. But I think sometimes we as Christians get to the point where we desire God's presence. Only when his presence doesn't interfere with our life. We only desire God's presence when His presence doesn't interfere with our lives. We shy away from the presence of God because we are afraid of the power of God being unleashed when our lives. Because when the unadulterated power of God is unleashed, change is inevitable and change will happen. All you have to do is look at this man's life of what the power of God can do. All you need to do is read the book of Acts and how Jesus turned the world upside down through the power of Christ with the lives of a few uneducated fishermen. You see, we don't like change. But that's what God does. And we must come to the realization that we invite Jesus into our lives. We are inviting radical change. And if you don't want change in your life, then why do you invite Jesus into your life? Don't invite Jesus into your life and expect the status quo. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is not going to leave you as you are. He's going to change you into who he wants you to become. And that's the image of Jesus. And may we invite and welcome the presence of God into our lives. And may we desire for him to change us and change the lives of others. Just like he changed this demoniac. The third thing, Jesus has the power to dispatch the delivered. Jesus has the power to dispatch the delivered. Jesus is about to leave the area. And as he starts to get into the boat, this former demoniac who, whose life Jesus changed, he begs to be with Jesus. He begs to go with Jesus. He's so grateful to Jesus that he wants to be where Jesus is. And even though the crowd had their fill of Jesus, this once demon-possessed man had not. He wanted more of Jesus. You see, through this encounter with Christ, not only was this man changed by Jesus, he was committed to Jesus. He was committed to Jesus. And when Jesus changes us, we should be committed to him. And we should never come to a place in our lives where we are satisfied with Christ. If we come to a place in our lives where we refuse to give Jesus more of ourselves because it will interfere with our lives, because it will interfere with our plans, then we have a problem. We should always desire more and more of Jesus and never come to a place where we've had enough of him. Because the more we desire of Jesus, the more we give to Jesus, the less we will desire the world and have to give to the world. And even though this man requested to go to Jesus, Jesus denied his request. Instead, look at what he, what he told him in verse 19. He said, go back home to your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has changed, how he has changed you, and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus said, don't come with me. 
He said, go tell your family and your friends what God has done for you. Go tell them how God has shown you mercy. Go tell them how God has shown you kindness. Go show them how God has freed you from the demons and changed your life. You know what Jesus did? After he changed this man, he commissioned this man. Because Jesus had changed him, he commissioned him to go to his own people and to testify what Jesus had done for him. This demoniac is the first missionary sent out by Jesus. I don't know if you knew that or not, but this is the first person that Jesus sends out to share the gospel. Jesus sends him to be a Gentile among the Gentiles. This madman became the first missionary. You see, the Gerasenes may not have wanted Jesus. But they could not get rid of Jesus as Jesus still wanted them. And what did Jesus do to show he wanted them? He left them a witness in this demoniac who he changed. And even though Jesus was going to be physically absent, he was going to to be present in the message of the gospel proclaimed by his followers. And this man obeyed Jesus. He did what it Exactly what Jesus asked him to do. This man was consumed by Christ. In verse 20 says, He went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Those with whom this man shared were amazed. They were blown away. They knew who he had been and could not believe who he now was. Jesus changed this man's life. And he wanted this man to go and tell others about him. And I imagine this man's testimony went something like this. You won't believe what happened to me. I met a man named Jesus. I met a man who was the son of the Most High God. And let me tell you how he changed my life. Let me tell you what he did for me. You know what this man teaches us? What it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Being a witness for Christ doesn't require a seminary degree. Being a witness for Christ doesn't mean you have to memorize Scripture. Being a witness is simply telling others what Jesus has done for you and how He has changed you and blessed you. And if Jesus has changed your life, if you've given your life to Him, Jesus commissions you to go and share just like He commissioned this demoniac. And testifying and sharing about Jesus is simply talking about the greatness and the goodness of God is sharing about what was your like before Christ is sharing how you met Christ and is sharing what your life is like after you have come to know him it could be as simple as this there was a time in my life where my life was empty and I had no meaning I was alone and insecure and when I met Jesus I put my trust in him and followed him and now I have peace and joy That is a testimony of what God did for you. That is a testimony of what your life was like before you came to Jesus. That is known as the 15-second testimony. In 15 seconds, you can tell someone how God has changed you. And then you know what you do? You simply say, do you have a story like that? It's simple to share and to testify about the goodness and greatness of God. We should be excited to be able to share what Jesus has done for us. But if we make it too complicated, 
We try to make it a program. We try to make it all these other things. But testifying about God is simply sharing what God has done for you and how He changed your life. And that's something that we should desire for everyone to know. And we are commanded, if we've given our life to Christ, to share the gospel. It's not an option. It's a mandate, the Great Commission, go and therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word go simply means as you go, as you live your life, make disciples by doing what? By sharing about what I have done for you. And people may question the Bible. People may question the existence of God. But the one thing they can't question is a life change that has taken place in your life and mine. People can't question how God has changed your life. That's the greatest evidence of our Savior is what Jesus has done for us. And nothing is more powerful than the testimony of a life changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we shouldn't be ashamed about the gospel. We should be excited to share the gospel and for others to experience the love, the grace, and the mercy and forgiveness of God that we have experienced. And if we want people to be cured of their problem of sin, if we want Jesus to make a difference in the lives of people like he's made in our life, then we need to tell them about the cure. We need to tell them about the one who can make a difference. We need to tell them about Jesus. It's been said the Christian faith is only one generation away from extinction. And what that means is because with each generation comes the renewed responsibility to take Christ to the world. And if one generation fails to share Jesus with the next, which is what happened in our culture today, the next generation will be less and less likely to know Jesus and to share Him. And just think that if you've given your life to Christ, just think that someone took the time to share with you what Jesus had done for them so you could be delivered from your sin. And may each of us who know Christ, may each of us who've been delivered from our sin, understand that God has dispatched us to share Jesus with others so they can be rescued from the spiritual bondage that they're in. Because one day it's going to be too late. And we need to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus today, not tomorrow. Just like this man was. As soon as Jesus changed him, as soon as Jesus commissioned him, this man went and shared what Jesus had done. He wasted no time. You see, when we look at our lives before we came to Christ, we were no different than this man. We were spiritually dead. We were bound by the chains of sin and death, and we had no hope. And the only thing that could deliver us from our spiritual condition is what delivered this demoniac, the power of Jesus Christ. And think about this. Jesus weathered the storm on the sea to get to this man. And Jesus weathered the storm on the cross of Calvary to get to you. And if God has the power to transform this man's life, and he has the power to change your life and mine. And he has the power to change anyone's life. Regardless of how hopeless someone may seem. 
And if Jesus has changed you this morning, He desires for you to be committed to Him. He desires for you and He commissions you and commands you to go and share with others the difference He's made in your life so He can deliver them from their sin. And He can make the same difference in their life that He's made in yours. Let's pray. Father, we just come before You this morning and we just thank You for what You did in the life of this demoniac. We just thank you, Father, that this story clearly illustrates that you have the power over demons, that there is none more powerful than you. And, Father, we thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, Father, I thank you that you delivered the destitute today. Lord, you deliver the needy, you deliver the hopeless, you deliver the hurting. And Father, before we gave our lives to you, we were destitute. We were hopeless. We were needy. We were in need of a Savior. And Father, we thank you that you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, came and delivered us. And Father, may we understand that after you deliver us, we have the responsibility. We have the mandate to go and share you with others. And Father, may we not make it as complicated as sometimes it may seem. Lord, all you ask us to do is testify of how you changed our life. And Father, may we desire, Father, to see the lives of others change the way that you have changed us. Lord, I thank you for the example of this demoniac, Lord, that after he was changed, he was committed to you, he was consumed by you, and he was excited to go and share you. God, may we never lose the excitement of what you've done for us. And may we always have the excitement of willing to share with others the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray this morning they would come and give their life to you. Father, maybe they're, they're living physically, but they're dead spiritually, and they need Jesus to rescue from their spiritual bondage. They're hopeless this morning, but they need you. And God, may they come to you and bow at your feet, cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you. May they see that you're the only one that can deliver them from the kingdom of Satan into your kingdom, deliver them from darkness into light. And Father, for those of us that are watching online or here this morning, May we think about what you've done for us. May we think about how you delivered us. And Father, I pray that we would truly desire to live a life that is honoring you, that is committed to you. And Father, I pray that when we truly gave our heart to you, that we allowed you to change our life. And Father, maybe there are those here this morning who've given their life to you, God, but they're holding on to areas in their life that they need to let go and give you complete and total control. And they need you to change every part of them just like you changed this demoniac. And Father, if you've changed our life, God, I pray that we would desire more of you and never be satisfied with you. May we beg and plead to be in your presence just like this demoniac did. 
Father, if you've changed us, may we desire to tell others about you. May we understand, God, that you've called us and commissioned us to be your missionaries, to be your witnesses wherever we go. And may we never think that someone is beyond your reach, beyond your grace, beyond your love. Father, just work in hearts this morning. There's someone who needs you. May this morning be their day of salvation. Lord, there's someone who who knows they need to give more of themselves to you. May they do that this morning. Lord, maybe some have been convicted about not being the witness they should be, about not simply testifying of your goodness and greatness and how you changed their life. And maybe you're calling them to be a witness to someone specific that you brought to mind this morning. Lord, just work in the hearts of people. And Father, we just want to proclaim the power of Jesus. Father, thank you for this story. Just thank you for what you've taught us this morning. Work in the hearts of people. We love you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. If you're here this morning and if you need Jesus, I'll be down here to receive you and be glad to show you how you can give your life to him. As I prayed in my prayer, if you know Christ, maybe there are some areas you're struggling with that you just hadn't given Jesus control of. You need to do that this morning. Or maybe you need more of Jesus. Maybe you've been satisfied with Jesus and you need more of him. Or maybe God's brought someone to mind that you need to witness to. Maybe you need to come and ask God to give you that opportunity and give you that courage and boldness to share with Him. Or maybe God is calling you to be a greater witness but simply testify about His greatness and His goodness. So during our time of commitment, we're going to see, and if you need to come and talk to me, I'll be down front, but this altar will be open as well. Let's stand as we sing.